Glad you're able to join us this morning and uh, thankful that you have a voice to proclaim the excellencies of the God who, through his son, saved us. Uh, and that we know that there is a pardon that was uh, uh, given on our part uh, because of what Jesus Christ did. And so um, as we prepare our hearts to uh, dig deeper into the word of God this morning, let's bow once more uh, as we commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, your mercy, your love, your grace. You're such a wonderful God. And Father, uh, we know that even though sometimes we fall short, sometimes we uh, inadvertently turn our back on you, uh, Father, you are always there. Uh, that your spirit is with us uh, 24-7, to continue to remind us of the truths of your word, to continue to convict of sin and draw us closer. Uh, And so, Father, we thank you for that this morning. And as we take a look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19, as we consider the true nature of the fallen world uh, and why Paul put this in here, because it's here not just as a matter of information, but as a matter of uh, calling uh, for us to be cautious, uh, to make sure that we do not uh, fall back into or embrace those things that we have been redeemed from uh, and to realize who we are in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, may that teach us this morning. Uh, May it call uh, those that need to be drawn closer to you uh, and that. All this may be done for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Our text this morning is verses 17 through 19. And if you need a Bible, uh, Tracy's here and I can give you a Bible to use. So let's begin this morning, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 17 to 19 and and then uh, dive right in uh, by way of introduction. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You know, as we have been walking through Ephesians and as we in particular have looked at chapter 4 where it talks about unity and about the body of Christ, uh, where it starts out there in verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, Part of walking in that manner is for us to realize those things that are of a negative nature, not just those things that are of a positive nature, things that we should do, but also the things that we are warned not to do. Uh, And it's not meant to be just a a, a checklist. It's not meant for it to uh, be, you know, a cleansing of our conscience to say, well, I would never do that or I don't do that. Uh, There's a reason why this is in the text. Uh, And, you know, as you think about 
you know, living in this world, you know, how many times have you maybe in a conversation or in a relationship or in a certain set of circumstances have ever heard someone say, don't make waves or don't rock the boat or if you prefer, don't rock the boat, baby, you know, uh, going back to the 1970s as a song. Um, don't upset the apple cart. Don't stir the pot. Don't challenge the status quo. Don't throw a monkey wrench in or don't cramp my style. All of those things are, you know, retorts. They're, they're things that, that come forth when people are happy where they are. Uh, and the thing is, is we, we don't really like change all that much anyway. Uh, you know, change means that we have to either learn something new, we may have to give up something. Um, there's an exchange that goes on there. And the thing is, is that when we find ourselves living in the world as those who have been given a, a new life, a, uh, you know, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, uh, there is something, you know, distinct that separates us out from the rest of the world. And when we come in contact with those that are unbelievers, some of their, you know, things may not even be as kind of words as the phrases I used this morning, but the thing is, is they, you know, well, that's good enough for you, but you know what, I, I don't want you to hear about that. Uh, and the scripture, you know, makes it very clear why this is the case. But the problem in here lies is Paul is bringing this out after talking about unity in the body of Christ, is putting forth these negative aspects of what is the nature of the fallen world so that we as Christians don't give in to those appeals to not make waves or not rock the boat or upset the apple cart, et cetera, et cetera. But see, sometimes what can happen is, is that in order to either fit in or not be that catalyst by which change is going to possibly happen in their lives, you know, for one reason or another, whether it's acceptance, whether it's respect, whether it's choosing the, the path of least resistance, there is a caution here that we can be tempted to give in to those demands, to not rock the boat, to not make waves. And Paul here, you know, he doesn't want this just to be, well, this is what I would prefer you to do. You'll notice that he very quickly establishes the reason by which he is making this proclamation. He says there in verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Because this is something that God wants each and every one of us to see. Again, he is not just, you know, bringing some sage wisdom into the, the scenario. This is Paul speaking, giving testimony to the fact that we should make sure that we are not like the world in which we've been redeemed out of. He's establishing his authority to speak to this. So in other words, you know, to some extent, he's, you know, he's going to the, the very uh, top source there is, to God himself. And remember that all scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. And, and Paul was moved along by the Holy Spirit to pen these words. Uh, and so what is it that Paul is testifying to? What is he saying? What is he proclaiming and declaring? That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, who's the audience? Who's the you? 
This is the church. This is believers in Jesus Christ. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, what does that mean? Why, why shouldn't I walk like the Gentiles do? And is that Jew not, or Gentile not Jew? Or what is the Gentile referring to here? Well, it's the Greek word ethnos, and it actually means pagans, anyone who does not know God. Okay? Uh, because, you know, those who are part of this world are going to live a certain way, are going to be defined by a certain action and a course of action and a way in which they live their lives. And because you've been redeemed out of that and once were part of that, there's something that's going to define you differently. And see, the, the fallen world needs to see that because it's giving testimony to what God does when he saves a life, when he redeems a life. And see, again, that's contrasted, you know, don't walk as the Gentiles do, as the pagans do, but instead walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You see how he's he's tying all this together so that you can see that there is a way in which a believer should live their life contrary or in contrast to the rest of the world. And they don't need to see the rest of how they live because they know how they live because that's who they are. And that's who we once used to be. And so because that's who we once used to be, Paul is saying, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And if we look into the Old Testament account, we can see very quickly that the children of Israel, there were times when they obeyed God. But there was also times when they disobeyed God, when they found themselves living just like the people in the area in which they were residing marrying people from other people groups when God said, don't do that. And so what happens is is their gods, their way of life, that pagan lifestyle in which they live will slowly have an effect on how they are and how they live their lives because, again, we are influenced and affected by everything that we come in contact with every day. I am not the same person I was even a week ago because I've changed in relation to the word of God speaking truth into my life. All the experiences, all the things that I've participated in in this last week have changed who I am. But the caution here, and I think that that Spurgeon speaks to this well, is that when we choose to give in and not make the waves, to not rock the boat, to not upset the the apple cart because we want to be accepted, because we just want to enjoy that aspect of what the world has to offer, even though we know the Word of God says something very particular about it, that that particular lifestyle, that particular behavior does not honor God. It's as if we've forgotten God. And... You know, the last thing we want to do is those who have been redeemed is to forget God. But see, if we focus on those things, if we live in light of those things and not focus on God and live in light of his ways, then that's exactly what we're doing. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He says, if we have forgotten God, dear brethren, we have forgotten the many deliverances we have had in the past uh, or in the days that are past. We have forgotten the wiping away of our tears of sorrow. Worse still, we have forgotten the precious blood of Jesus that spoke peace to our soul. And we have forgotten the Holy Ghost who came into our hearts and gave us joy and rest in Jesus Christ. 
And if we have forgotten God, we have forgotten his gracious promises, which are yet to be fulfilled. And the glorious covenant of his grace, ordered in all things and sure, on which our hopes of heaven are based. We have also forgotten his claims upon us, forgotten that we are his children, his beloved, his elect, his redeemed. See, that is what happens when we give in and let the culture or the pagan world tell us who we are and how we should live. Now, if we're part of that world, then, you know, it's a mute point. But you've been redeemed out of that world. You're no longer part of that world. You live in it, but you're not of it. And this is the distinction that Paul is bringing out here as he's calling and testifying in the Lord that we, Ellington Baptist Church, each one of us, myself included, should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, as pagans do. We should not look like the rest of the fallen world. We should not live in light of that because we are not like that world anymore. Matter of fact, the desires of that world, the things that that world lives for and loves should not be things that we live for or love because we have been transformed. So for the next moments as we you know, consider verses 17 to 19, um, I've broken it down into five specific things and you'll see the progression here uh, in the text. Uh, and, you know, as we're going through this, you know, start asking and start processing the question, have I given in in this particular area? Is there some aspect in which I'm like that because I've embraced this, something that the fallen world embraces? Verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, first, in the futility of their minds. So what the first trait of the fallen world is futile thinking. Uh, that word futile can be translated vanity, which reminds me of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, where he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and is a striving after the wind. And he looked into different areas like pleasure, control, fame, envy, toil, wisdom, madness, folly. And as the scriptures tell us, there was no one like Solomon in his day before him or after him in wisdom because he was given a gift from God. And what did he see when he tried to, you know, be part of the world, even as God's servant, was that it was a striving after wind. It was all vain. See, this futile thinking is a mind devoid of truth. Because there's either truth or a lie. There's no middle ground. There's no gray ground. You know, there's no such thing as a white lie or a partial something. It's either truth or it's a lie. Truth comes from God. Lie comes from the father of lies. It's a mind devoid of truth, absent of purpose, worthless, deprived. And see, the thing is, as you look at the rest of the world, and when you were part of that world, you didn't think of yourself that way. Because there was truly, apart from God's intervention or apart from some other believer living in light of the truth, for them to see that, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. 
Now, the law is written on the hearts of all people, so they have a sense of what's right and wrong, but oftentimes do they even, you know, listen to that? Do they press the outer, you know, the outer limits of that envelope each and every time that they find a need to do so? Well, you know, no one's going to really see or, you know, is it really going to make a difference if I live this way? Well, what's your comparison? If it's the rest of the world, then you've justified it. If it's in light of the holiness of God, then you have a problem. And notice it's not an empty mind. It's a futile mind. Okay, so there is thoughts there. There are things that they're processing and thinking about and thinking in relation to what they're going to do or react to that. So it's not an empty mind, but it is a mind that thinks and lives as if God does not exist. And therein lies the difference. As those who are redeemed, we know God exists. We know that God is faithful and loving and gracious and merciful because we've experienced redemption. We've experienced new life. We've been made alive in Christ Jesus. It reminds me of a parallel text in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, that for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. See, they, they, they knew God because the creation screams that there is a creator. Just like when you look at this building that we're sitting in right now, that, that screams that there is an engineer and an architect that, that designed and, and built this building. You don't question it. This building just has not always been here. It didn't just fall out of the sky and everything was in its place. See, Romans uh, chapter 8 goes on to say in verses 7 and 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's who we were apart from Jesus Christ. But again, Paul is warning believers here, the church, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So there is an aspect in which if we're not in the word of God, if we're not surrounded by other believers, if we're not spending time in prayer with God, that we too can become futile in our thinking. There are churches all around us that have become futile in their thinking because they've embraced the culture as opposed to embracing the word of God. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, in the futility of their minds, verse 18 goes on to say, they are darkened in their understanding. Well, what is understanding? Well, understanding is comprehension of knowledge. Okay, so we know that they're not empty-minded. We know that they do think on things because they, they make judgment calls. But whether or not that's informed by God or not is, is a whole different you know, scenario See, they, they're ones that say, well, God, I want the freedom to be able to do this. See, their understanding about things is darkened. So in other words, they don't understand even the knowledge that they have and using it in a right way. Or what they'll do is suppress the knowledge that they have in unrighteousness. So the, the truth about God and his ways ends up being pressed all the way down underfoot out of sight. 
So that in that futile thinking, which is devoid of the truth, absent of purpose, worthless, deprived, their understanding then becomes darkened because it's not informed by God. Again, that same verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. And the verse ends saying, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, the thing is, a world devoid of God will continue to get more and more evil, more and more dark, more and more cynical. And you can look at the culture around you and see that happening in real time. You don't have to go very far to see that that's the case. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, Satan cannot make anyone do anything. He can tempt them, something that God does not do, but he can tempt them to make choices on the knowledge that they have that will be evil and dark and will not honor God. And so Paul is saying, believers, New Testament church, Ellington Baptist Church today, do not be futile in your thinking. Do not allow your understanding to be darkened. See, John 3, 19 says, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, which is speaking of Jesus, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. See, the thing is, is that's who we used to be. But every little compromise, every little justification that is not in line with who we are in Christ Jesus in this new life is a regression back into those ways that used to define who we were. That's where we got our identity from. But see, that's not who we are in Christ Jesus. Our identity has changed. We are new creations, new creatures in Christ. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. Third, they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. What is ignorance? Well, ignorance, by definition, is a lack of knowledge and understanding. But yet we know futile thinking is not an empty mind, that there is knowledge there. There is information, but we know that when it's not informed by the truth, that it becomes darker and more evil to the point where they become ignorant as if they really don't have any knowledge or understanding at all. Listen to what Paul told young Timothy as he is you know, encouraging this young pastor in his faith. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly... Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I had received mercy because I acted ignorantly, ignorantly, if I can say the word, in unbelief. See, even Paul recognized as a Pharisee of Pharisees, as you know, the, the def dictionary definition of religiosity in Judaism, if you were to look it up in a dictionary, 
Paul's face could have been right there. But see, he had been changed. He had been redeemed. He had his eyes opened to the truth, something that escaped his gaze, escaped his dedication, because he was trying to be self-righteous in the presence of a holy God. Notice that it uses the word alienated from the life of God. Again, going back to chapter 2, verse 1, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are alienated from the life of God. You're alienated from God because of your sin. Something that, you know, causes you to be devoid of the truth, have your, darkened, your understanding darkened, and even to the point of you becoming ignorant. Where you act in a way as if you have no knowledge or understanding at all. They are like petrified wood or a fossil. They are sealed in a hardened state there because it says due to the hardness, their hardness of heart. See, the more you're exposed to evil, the more hard your heart comes. The more that you compromise and give in, the more that you will desire those things as opposed to seeing them in light of who God is having that spiritual forgetfulness where we forget who we are. And Paul's saying, don't do that. That's not who you are. That's why as we read in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It doesn't compute, it doesn't make sense because they're devoid of the truth and their understanding is darkened. You feel like you're, you're talking to, to someone that is basically just a shell there where you can't just penetrate through with anything. It's like it's bouncing off of them. Well, there's a reason for that. This is because of, of who they are, because of their spiritual state, and why salvation is a work of God and not a work of men. I can't save anybody, but God can. He has to breathe life into that spiritual corpse. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Because a transformation has taken place. And the thing is, is we have to live in light of that transformation. We don't you know, regress back into our former life, which is the temptation because we still live in this world. Well, I'll just, just make this little compromise over here. And, and we don't even use the word compromise. We just justify in our mind, it's okay if I do this. Who's going to know? Nobody can see me. See, we forget who God is, that he's everywhere present, that he knows everything there is to know, that we can't hide from him. Everything is laid and open and bare. Simple biblical truths, but the thing is, as we, we progress towards sin and progress back towards that, that life we used to live, we, we become desensitized, and we start compromising, and one compromise leads to another compromise, leads to another compromise, and before we know it, there's, you know, this big divide between us and God, even as believers, where we're quenching the Spirit and not living in the power of the Spirit Verse 19, they have become callous. You know, we have hard-hearted, this is heartless. They've become callous. 
See, they're no longer sensitive to right or wrong or pain or consequence. Have you ever been there before? Do you know someone who is there? If you look at the world in general, is there a sense of right or wrong or pain or consequence in the lives of many of the people that live on this planet today? No, because they're f- you see it everywhere. They're futile in their thinking. Their understanding is darkened. They are ignorant and hard-hearted. And the next logical progression is they become callous to the point where they're no longer sensitive to it. They have a seared or carterized conscience. There's no awareness that what they're doing or what they're saying or what they're imposing upon other people is selfish in nature. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. They believe what they're doing is right. They are fully convinced and try convincing them otherwise. But see, that's how spiritually deprived, how spiritually dead the pagan world is. That's who we used to be, but that's not who we are any longer. See, there was, there's warning signs all over. As, as believers live in light of the truth and live out their Christian life in this world, there's warning lights going off everywhere. Even non-believers. Because, again, the, the, the progression keeps getting worse and more and more evil. Even to the point where there's a, a division in, in the pagan world where there's right and wrong. Well, no, you don't do that. But the the warning signs, the flashing lights, the accidents all around them have no effect on them. They're completely oblivious to who they hurt or what effect that has, what they think, what they say, or what they do. You know, it reminded me of Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. I can remember watching this as a, a young kid. I can remember the, that exact evening because the good humor truck came by and we didn't get good humor very often because there wasn't really a whole lot of extra money in the house. But this particular night, uh, I think it was the uh, you know, premiere on television of Willy Wonka and the Tractor Fa- Chocolate Factory. And I got one of those Bigfoot ice creams, if you can remember those, and I'm not even sure they make them anymore. I can remember certain aspects of that movie just scared me to death, which I guess really to some extent it was meant as a shock factor for you know, the world to see that there are certain behaviors in children that are not acceptable. Well, if you remember, there was a girl named Violet in that movie, and they were in the inventing room, and of course, you know, Gene Wilder played the part of Willy Wonka amazingly, and he had that three-course dinner gum. And Violet was, you know, she chewed gum for, you know, all the time. She says, so as long as it's gum, then it's for me. And her dad says, Violet, now don't you do anything stupid. What's it taste like? Madness. It's tomato soup. It's hot and creamy. I actually feel it running down my throat. It's delicious. Willy Wonka says, stop, don't. Because again, this is not the first occurrence. This is the second one in the movie but they're not listening to what Willy Wonka says. Even though all the, the warning signs are there, you know, and Augustus has already been sucked into you know, the chocolate river of oblivion. Stop, don't. 
And what does Charlie say to his Grandpa Joe? Why doesn't she listen to Mr. Wonka? And he gives a hilarious answer, because, Charlie, she's a nitwit. But see, that's exactly, when we look at our world, how people that are pagan act. All the flashing lights are going off. All of the the conscience that's saying, no, that's not right. You should not do that. They're so seared in their conscience, so callous, that they don't even see it. And in that movie you watch, four kids, one right after another, because of the particular desires that they had individually, one right after another, continue to keep doing the same thing to their detriment because they were selfish. But see, that's what a callous heart or a heartless heart is. But Paul doesn't stop there because it goes one more level. Futile thinking, darkened understanding, ignorant and hard-hearted, callous or heartless, and finally, sensuality or lust-hearted. This is a parading of sin. This is pulling out all the stops. There's, there's, there's no conviction. There is no flashing light going off. Matter of fact, we're going to celebrate sin. We're going to celebrate our lifestyle. Because we don't care what anyone thinks. We only care about what we want. As a matter of fact, we care about what we want so much that we want you to embrace exactly what we want as well. Does that sound familiar? And it, they don't even try to hide it. This is, these individuals, as a matter of fact, in Greek, in particular, it's speaking to sexual sin. See, there's no moral restraint. They are actually greedy for it. Because all of these things prior are defining who they are, and this is the final step where there is no conscience, there is no reality, there's no truth, and they're living in light of pure evil, pure rebellion against God. It reminded me of Genesis chapter 19. And Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. You can turn there if you want. It's verses 4 to 11. But just listen. Because this is sensuality. This is lust-hearted, evil people. But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old. Picture this. All the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And this is knowing them sexually. Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers. Notice Lot identifying with them, my brothers. Do not act so wickedly. So he's off to a good start. Verse 8, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. I cannot imagine, as a father of three daughters, ever, ever saying that. 
Verse 9, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. So they're, they're given a documentary on Lot himself. They're, they're judging us now, or he's judging us now. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. See, this is what happens when evil goes unrestrained. This is the result of futile thinking, darkened understanding, ignorant and hard-heartedness, heartlessness or callousness, and finally a sensuality and a lust heart where the, the sinful nature is given a full reign to act as greedy and as selfish as it can, not taking into consideration the results of what may happen as a result of those actions. This is what Paul is saying, you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you, the church, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Because there's going to be a temptation to, to slowly go back to that. And the thing is, is even as we look at our world today, there are many temptations to give in to things that are sexual in nature, things that are overwhelming in nature, things that do not honor God. So should we give in? Should we just turn a blind eye? No. Because remember, we are light and darkness. Because we once were those individuals. We may not have done everything there. And you may have been in relation to the rest of the world a good person. But in comparison to the holy God of all, you are evil. How should this inform our lives today? Three things for believers here this morning. First, I need you to remember that you have been transformed. You are no longer like the pagan world because you have spiritual life in you. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That word transform means intentionally committed to God's good and perfect will. So be transformed, be committed intentionally to God's good and his perfect will by the renewal or literally new birth of your mind. See, part of what happens in this rebirth is, is it's not just a, you know, an emotional experience. This is a change of heart. This is a, a transformation of your mind. So that you no longer are thinking in the futility of your mind, but because you have truth now. And truth informs you because truth is God himself. That by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So remember, you have been transformed. You are no longer like that. Second, trust. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 
Do you want perfect peace? Then trust in God. And he will inform your mind. Because the word of God is truth and the word of God transforms. It takes that which is spiritually dead and makes it spiritually alive as the gospel good news goes forth. And the, the spirit regenerates that heart, that mind, that soul for all of eternity. But the trust is not in yourself. The trust is not in the world around you. The trust is in God. Third, terminate. Colossians chapter 3 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Indiana Jones, there you go. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What are you to terminate? Verse 5, put to death. Put to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He goes on to say sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On these, or I say on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, we don't have to worry about the wrath of God as believers in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ took God's wrath for my sin and for every believer in this room's sin upon himself when he hung on that tree. So do I live in light of my previous lifestyle and the thing that I've been redeemed out of? Absolutely not. May it never be. But instead, I live in light of the transformed man, the transformed son of God that I am because of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is warning each and every one of us. And the fourth thing is here for any unbeliever, but also it could be for a believer, I guess, as well, is the word tremble. Acts 17, 30 to 31, it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Which repentance, part of repentance is a change of mind. Because you're no longer thinking in the futility of your mind, of devoid of the truth, but instead you've been informed and been given the truth that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. Jesus Christ alone. Verse 31 says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who is that? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is at the right hand of the throne of God even right now. So if you're not a believer here today, if, if what was described is who you are because you are part of this world, then you need to repent today. You need to see your sin as God sees your sin. You need to see that you are futile in your thinking, that your understanding is darkened, that you are ignorant. Ignorant. <laughs> Just leave it there. Ignorant. Devoid of the truth. You're hard-hearted. You're callous. You're heartless. And sensual in the fact that you were fulfilling your own selfish desires as opposed to acknowledging the creator God of all who loved you through his son, Jesus Christ. There is a day of judgment coming. The question is, do you know Jesus this morning?
Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, these are some difficult truths. Even to some extent, things we don't even want to think about. Is it possible that we could regress and be like who we used to be? Can we quench your spirit enough that we can think wrongly, have darkened understanding where we we don't see things as they are? Father, it's a call here that's in the text because Paul wants to, through the the testimony and testifying of, of you, for us to realize is that we must guard ourselves each and every moment, each and every day from going back. We have been redeemed out of, and therefore we should live as those who are no longer part of that world any longer. Our desire should be for you and you alone and not for this world. So Father, forgive us when we compromise, when we give in, and when we do things we know go against your word that do not honor you. Father, we know that when we come to you in forgiveness and and seek your spirit out, that you can give us victory even over those things. And so, Father, I pray for each believer here this morning that they would live in light of who they are as sons and daughters of Christ. And I pray for those that maybe don't know you here this morning, that they would, for the first time, see the truth that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. That there may be a way that they think is right, but in the end it's death. So Father, may these words pierce deeply into our hearts and our souls and our minds. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.